Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back to another episode of the Readerly Report. This is Gail, and I am recording on my own today. Nicole is still taking a little bit of time off, but we are hoping to have her back in July. So stay tuned for more Readerly Report episodes this summer, and Nicole will be rejoining, and I'm very excited to have her back. And in the meantime, I have a guest with me today so that you guys don't have to listen to me talking to myself. (laughs) And we have Karen White, who is a longtime friend of the show and one of my favorite audiobook narrators and a new author. So Karen, welcome back to The Readerly Report. Thank you. It's nice to be back here, although I am sad that we didn't get to see each other in person this year. I know. I know. Karen and I usually grab a drink at Book Expo in the end of May in New York City. And this year, of course, Book Expo was postponed and then ultimately went online in a very skeletal (laughs) version of itself at the beginning of June, I think is when they had it, or maybe it was still at the end of May. So it was a huge loss to the book world not to be able to get together and hear about new books and see old friends. And I know for you, Karen, that you have an annual gathering of a lot of your fellow narrators and you guys have the audio awards that happen in, is it the odd that happened around Book Expo? actually two years ago, they split the Audis from the Audiobook Publishers Association Conference. So we actually got to do the Audis. It was kind of freaky. It happened March 2nd. Wow. So I was in New York right when things were started. And I looked at some map or some chart or graph or something later. And, you know, there were apparently 10,000 cases in New York when we were all there hugging each other. And, you know, but... I don't know anybody who got sick from the Audis. If they did, they didn't know it. So yeah, oh, that's so lucky. that was our big last hurrah. We got to see Stephen King in person. He was a great speaker. You know, so that's our big awards ceremony, but not our conference. We didn't get to have that. That just got canceled. Essentially. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about what's going on in the world. And like I've been doing with all of my podcasts, because I have a, I have another podcast that I do for work and also for this one, I now date stamp all my episodes so that people know when this was recorded because things change in this country so rapidly. And, you know, sometimes I worry that what I talk about today may sound really weird in two weeks if things are really different. So for reference, today is June 16th and we are recording in the late afternoon. And let's first start talking a little bit about what's been going on in the publishing world in the last few weeks, because I think it's been really interesting. As everybody knows, there has been, you know, huge protests around the country, Black Lives Matters protests spurred on by, you know, more and more instances of police violence against Black people. The most recent one happened again, of course, over the weekend in Georgia. And it's been interesting, I think, to see how that debate and the movement has taken, you know, its context or has affected the, the, the publishing industry and readers everywhere. And, you know, everything from people committing to reading more authors of color to a controversy around Book of the Month, which I don't know if you're aware of that, but that Ooh, happened. I about that. Oh, yeah. Um, like Book of the Month Club? Book of the Month Club, yeah. There was a, a woman on Bookstagram, the Stack Pod, I think it's 
the name of, I'll have to look up the name of her account, but she had commented on Book of the Month's Instagram that she was hoping that they would try to have, include more diverse authors. And the social media person at Book of the Month started deleting all of her posts or all of her comments. And there was such outcry, you know, rightfully so, against the deleting of the comments, which were constructive and retro. And as a result, there's been a huge exodus of people canceling their Book of the Month subscriptions. Well, I didn't even know that existed anymore, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very popular, actually, and has has gotten to be very relevant. Like they, you know, they get early copies of books and they work with publishers and they work with some of the people doing book clubs like Jenna Bush. And, you know, they they definitely like play a role in sort of helping propel certain books and highlighting certain authors. And it's, you know, there's a whole community around them on Facebook and Instagram. And it's a huge deal to see that many people leaving. And I thought, I thought it was actually really cool the way yeah. people were kind of putting their money where their mouth was and really, you know, taking them to task for the way they silenced that conversation. So I will link to her Instagram because she's a great Instagram account anyway, in her own right, having nothing to do with what happened with Book of the Month. Anyway, what's your take on, has there been any conversation in your sort of corner of the industry about diversity and about including more Black voices? Well, it's really interesting because I feel like this demand has actually been happening. The movement has been glacially slow, and I'm hoping that everything that's happening now will change that a little bit. But just over my time in the industry since 1999, I have definitely seen the audiobooks that get produced go from being... I would really say 75% written by white men to seeing more and more women be published of all colors. But just in the past few years, there's been a big push in publishing for hashtag or quote own voices. And when editors and agents are actively looking for stories from all quote unquote marginalized communities, whether that's LGBTQ or people who are differently abled, I think is the way I want to say it, to people of color. And I am seeing that our industry, I mean, actually we were, there were supposed to be at the audiobook publishers conference, a panel on diversity in our part of the industry. And they're doing a survey on it. And we, in our own community, are including it on a survey. But all this was happening way before. There was even a huge dust up at RWA, which is the Romance Writers Association. Oh, yeah, I remember um, that. Over race. And I mean, unbelievably blatant racism in the organization that was so deeply ingrained that the whole thing, I think, basically had to just implode. And it's sad because what I, I had thought, I mean, I just had never, you know, from my point of view of white privilege had never noticed, I guess, because what I was seeing was this own voices movement. But I think there were a lot of chapters and also people at upper leadership who were actively suppressing or not including or not listening to or really undermining really good work that others were doing. So we'll see. What I was sad about is that I felt like that it had such potential and, and was such a great positive organization for women writers who could be, it was at times, very inclusive. But that 
institutional racism just undermined it. So I'm not a member anymore. I, I just felt like it wasn't worth it. I don't know what will happen, but I, I feel like this is all been coming. But like I said before, it's been glacially slow and that's got to change, you know? Yeah. And it's for myself, it's something I happen to read for work to record in a book called Witnessing Whiteness. The author's Shelley Touchluck almost two years ago. And it's similar to white fragility. I learned so many things that, you know, I wasn't taught growing up in Virginia and North Carolina in my history classes about how much our country is founded on racism. And then a book came out this winter called Wilmington's Lie by David Zucchino. And my husband and I read it and saw him speak. And I'd known about what was used to be called the 1898 riots in Wilmington, which is the city in which I live now. We've been here for seven years. And that was the name that it was called by, you know, the historians. But what it truly was, was the nation's only ever coup d'etat. And that, and then I read books about the Wilmington 10, which is a whole other racial incident, essentially, but for some people, it affected their entire lives that happened here in Wilmington. And we just have this toxic history here that mm -hmm. there is so much we have to do to work through it. And sometimes it feels overwhelming, but sometimes, you know, you just get like today, I called the mayor and wrote the city council because our police budget, I heard on the radio this morning, they're slamming it through, you know, and people are starting to say, no, this isn't okay. You know, we can't just shove this stuff under the rug anymore. Yep. So I don't know. I could talk about this for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, we'll get back to books. I, you know, I've kind of been debating, like, should I post something? And I kind of just felt like I don't have anything different to say from what a lot of other post people are posting. And I just, I don't want to post something for the sake of posting. I don't want to just, as another white woman, you know, commit to something or, or express something that doesn't have anything behind it. I just, I don't feel like that, it, you know, it's not adding anything to the conversation. So I haven't posted anything, but one thing I have been thinking a lot about is like my own reading, which is sort of, you know, my way of expressing myself. And that's the way I sort of reach out and influence people, I guess, is through just my own posts and reviews is just to really be more conscious of the diversity of my reading. You know, I've read about what, 25 books this year, and I think two or three of them have been by people of color. And, you know, that's a, a very simple thing and a very like necessary thing that I can do, which is just to simply feature and read and expose myself to more diverse voices. So I'm committing now to doing that for the second part of this year and then and then on into the future. And I'm, you know, I'm really missing Nicole because I would be so interested to hear what she has to say right now. So hopefully yeah. we'll get into that when she comes back. Let's also talk about the fact that you just wrote a book and released <laughs> a book during a pandemic, which yeah. is, I'm sure lots of fun. So first of all, tell us about your book and tell us about what it's been like to release a book in this crazy spring. Well, it's been interesting, you know, because this is my first book, I'm flying by the seat of my pants anyway. So I don't have anything to compare it to. In some ways, everything is so digital that, you know, it's not like I'm going to go on a book tour. So I feel like 
I'm just working all my contacts and my relationships from my audiobook work to get the book out there. But the strange thing is, you know, what happens when you, it takes so long to write a book. And the things that propelled me to write this book are so different now, but the same. Essentially, I started writing when I just knew I wasn't going to be able to narrate audiobooks forever. My voice is already changing and I couldn't keep up doing it as a full-time job for many more years, I felt like. So I wanted to do something else that was creative and I might be able to also earn somewhat of a living at. And I'd wanted to write and I, and I sort of figured out how to get myself past the hump of starting. And so I started writing a middle grade book, but my partner with that kind of fell away. And then I had this other idea for a romance series based in Boston, which is where I lived when I was in my late twenties and early thirties. And that at least one main character in each book in the series would be an actor, which is what I was a theater actor in Boston in the 19 late 80s and early 90s. And then I thought, well, it needs to be a Shakespeare theater because that was most of the work that I did as an actor. So that was the idea. And I started writing. And I honestly don't remember how I got the idea to make the first main character, a young woman who was working in the finance industry. But I think I think it must be because I have a very good friend back in Los Angeles who that was what she did. And I, she told me a little bit about it. And so I basically grilled her and based the character on her experience. And a lot of that experience was dealing with sexual harassment. And so I started writing this in the summer, early summer of 2017. And then the Me Too thing happened in the fall of 2017. So I'm working on this book and I'm like, you know, this is what I'm writing about. This is what all these, you know, what we're finally facing in a major way since the way we haven't since the Anita Hill hearing in early 1990. So my book is about a nerdy young woman and a young actor slash bartender and how it's a very much of an opposites attract story between them. But it's also about each of them overcoming their own hurdles and facing their own demons so that they can come together. So, I mean, it's a romance novel, so <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. has to happen in the end. Yes. And it has been a huge learning experience from start to finish, even the whole process of pitching the book and looking for an agent and looking for a publisher and then deciding to publish it myself. It was all part of my learning process. And, you know, I, I like to learn new things. So it's been a lot of fun. And then so far, knock on wood, it's gotten some really people have responded to it really positively. The big hurdle I had actually in getting an agent or an editor in as traditional publishing to take it on was like a lot of them like the idea of the woman in finance and the guy actor, but they're like, well, let's move it to the present day and in New York because that's where actors are. And I didn't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I thought I just had this really strong gut feeling that we are going to need to go back in time and experience life in this time when it seemed simpler, but actually where a lot of the problems that we have now, we started working on them, but we didn't do a very good job. So everything from women in the workplace to the fallout of Reagan's economic policies. And also because there have been so many in the past four or five years, TV shows set in the 80s. I just felt like it was, it was a good time to set a book, but it doesn't fit easily into 
a romance subgenre. It's Hmm. not contemporary and it's not historical. And so, you know, editors and agents, they want to be able to put it on the shelf. They want to know who, you know, what writers it's going to be next to on the shelf, whether it's digitally or in a bookstore. And it's not easy that way, but I felt like I could sell it. And so far, the 80s thing has been one of the most, I mean, people love it. They love, it's like another character in the book, you know, whether they were around then or not. Right. Which is what I'm I don't even think you've said the name of it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called What I'm Looking For. All the books in the series are parts of song names from the time. So it's from the U2 song, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And all the characters' names are names from Shakespeare. Their first names. And their last names, but they're all mixed up. And then there's plot elements from Shakespeare that are sort of, they're like Easter eggs. If you really know Shakespeare, between the 80s and the Shakespeare, there's a lot of Easter eggs for readers. I was going to say, I'm not really much of a Shakespeare aficionado, but I am an 80s music person. So that sounds very intriguing. I like Well, the second book has even more, the second book and then the third book, which I'm working on, both of them have a lot more music, but there's a good amount in this. Nice. So I didn't realize that you had published it yourself. That's also a big challenge that you took on in an unexpectedly challenging time to do it. How are you reaching out to readers and and finding an audience? Well, we'll see how successful I am. But for the past like three or four years, I've been going to conferences and giving talks on audiobooks. And then I run around to all the panels these are author conferences. And I learn as much as I can about author stuff, everything from the actual craft of writing to marketing. And I mean, I just have piles and piles of information. I listen to some podcasts. But as I said, I also have a lot of relationship in the industry with people like you, (laughs) bloggers, uh, people who run Facebook groups. And I've been doing the kind of social media marketing that you need to do as an author, as an audiobook narrator, really from early on. I happened to record a book on social media marketing back in like 2008. Like Instagram did not exist back then, mm-hmm. you know. And I've been slowly just sort of doing that my whole career. Just, just not all, most audiobook narrators do it now, but back then very few did. And so I'm kind of used to that part of it. And I guess I'm, I can be a pretty good salesperson. I've gotten a lot of people to agree to review it and the reviews are starting to trickle in and we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping the nice thing about releasing a book yourself rather than doing it with a publisher is that it works to have a long tail with a publisher. They really want you to, you know, hit those lists and get a lot of sales right up front because they want you to be in bookstores. And, but if the bookstores buy your books and they don't get bought, then they get sent back and you and the publisher lose money, you know? So there's a lot of pressure to sell this thing right away. And I knew that's why they don't want to take chances on books. And you know, I, I also felt like they were really looking for these own voices. There are some people writing great romance right now that are people of color. And I was like, good, you know, let's have some of that energy go toward them. And I'll just do my little book over here on the side. And for an independent author, it's all about just, you just have to keep writing and put your catalog out there. And a lot of his word of mouth. And it, I think it, it's very organic. You know, you have real relationships and I have had those with a lot of listeners over the years. So it's kind of like an extension of that. And then I was actually hired 
in the fall, there's a wonderful creative writing program here in Wilmington at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And they had someone drop out of teaching a course on digital publishing in the fall. And because I knew about audiobooks, they're like, Karen, you're the only person we know who could possibly teach this. Will you do it? And I said, well, I'm going to have to teach myself about half of this material, but I can then use it to publish my book. I didn't say that to them, but I said it to myself (laughs) because the amount of money I made teaching a college class was nowhere near the amount, you know, by the hour, I think I made like 50 cents an hour because of the amount of time I spent doing research. But I learned so much that was useful to me in, in making decisions and studying trends and like things like I, even before this, I first wrote the book in third person and then I switched it to first person and made it switch points of view. And then I changed it even further. It was first person past and I moved it to first person present because of trends, because readers and listeners especially like the immediacy of that first person present voice. And I enjoy recording that. So I'd started in third person just because I was like, well, that's what it is, <laughs> you know. But I made that switch and I feel like it energized the book a lot. When the illustrated covers migrated from YA over to romantic comedy, I was like, oh my God, that's what this book needs. And I was so fortunate because almost all of those are done by people who are on staff at a major publisher. But I found this woman online in Australia, who did the most amazing cover design for me. And it looks like all these romantic comedies that are doing so well, you know, that are, mm-hmm. I feel like is the one of the most, it's a growing subgenre. And I wanted to jump on that train. So I think getting a really good cover is important for sales. Absolutely. And then who knows, you know, I'm just doing the best I can. So you did not publish this under your own name. The name of the author is Karen Gray. Explain the rationale behind that. Well, when I started recording audiobooks, I you know, was already in the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA under my name, Karen White. And Karen White is a horribly common name. I mean, I have run into Karen Whites everywhere I go, and there's often a problem with being confused for people. But it wasn't until I'd been doing it doing audiobooks for about 10 years that the author, Karen White, started selling a lot of books. And we are constantly being confused on social media. People tag me when they need to tag her and vice versa. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, she's Karen White writes and I'm Karen White reads. (laughs) I I was there first. Thank you very much. But (laughs) But she's also a woman of a certain age who lives in the South. And the one common thing that every agent or editor I pitched to said is, you got to have a different name. Yeah. So I published some short stories and essays under K.E. White, but that was just, you know, so blah. And so I started looking at maybe Shakespeare-y kind of names, but then I was afraid that would sound almost like I was doing British historical fiction regency or something. And then one day my daughter said, you should just be Karen Beige. And I thought that was funny, but also perhaps a little too (laughs) silly. So then I literally went through paint swatch colors to figure out all the different, you know, ways 
to say white. But then I don't know what happened. I just got gray. And I think that there is a gray in Shakespeare, Lady Gray. And I wear gray a lot. The cat we'd just gotten was gray. It just <laughs> seemed right. So I chose Karen Gray. And I'm not keeping it a secret. It's just to be clear that I'm not Karen White, who writes women's fiction with a mystery on mm-hmm. the side. Got it. Okay. Well, so everybody go check out Karen Gray's book, What I'm Looking For. And, and I get it know. everywhere. You can order it from your local bookstore or you can you can get it, you know, on all the online places, not just the big one that starts yeah, with go to bookshop.org. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like I just recently have read some romance, which is very unlike me. And I'm kind of I saw I'm, that you that you yeah. um, have I'm understanding some. the genre more. Like I get it. I sort of get the but there is a pattern to it. There is sort of a predictable construct that happens, but that so much of the creativity happens with the dialogue and also how the author manages to keep the two people apart. That that, you know, building that tension and and keeping the suspense going. Cause you know eventually they're gonna get together, but how long will you keep them apart before they get together? And then what bumps in the road will you throw in after they get together to prolong the the drama. I understand it now. I just, I really hadn't read any romance before and I've read a few in the last year and I I get it. Yeah, I was pretty snobby about it before I started recording them. And then I was able to start to see that ah, there is an art to this Mm -hmm. or at least a craft, you know, because you have to give the reader, listener, what they want. You know, people are drawn to this because they want the comfort of knowing what's going to happen. You have to have an HEA or an HFN, which is happy for now at the end, or they're really mad, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that is expected. But you also have to have kind of this, you know, three act play that happens. So the art is making it predictable and yet different. Yep. And find and walking that wire. And I finally started to appreciate that, oh my God, some people do this so well. And some people, it's like they're just phoning it in. And it made me want to figure it out, you know? Yep. Make it mine. I like structure. So yeah, that was very appealing to me. Yeah, I can see that. All right. Well, so everyone go check out Karen's book. And in the meantime, we're going to talk in the remaining time that we have about some books that you've read recently. And I'm going to ask you the questions that Nicole and I usually ask guests who come on the show with a few little edits to them. So Mm -hmm. tell me about a book that you've read recently that everyone liked, but you did not like. Well, you know, that's a hard one because I am one of those people who, you know, someone says something bad about it and I'm, and I'm like, oh yeah, I see that. And then someone else says something positive and I'm like, oh yeah, I see that. <laughs> you know, I can, <laughs> I can always see both sides of things, but mm-hmm. my book club is meeting tonight in an hour or so online. And we just read the book, Ask Again, Yes. Uh-huh. You know that book? I do. And we also read The Dutch House. That's funny. Book. I read those back to back too. And I've seen them compared and now I kind of get it. But I just didn't like this book as much by far. But I think some people are going to really like it. So I I just felt maybe it was the mood of the time. Like right now, I feel like I can't read stuff that's too sad and heavy, like Gail Weisswasser kind of books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, This book was so relentlessly 
Yes, it sure was. You know, and I was just like, come on, please, people. <laughs> something good happen. Unsurprisingly, I loved that book. Yeah. I, yeah. I read both of those and they both have a lot of sadness to them, The Dutch House and Ask Again, Yes. And they have actually some parallel sadnesses to them that, you know, you can see someone the other. I, I loved Ask Again, Yes. It was one of my favorite books. I guess I read it last year, but I think it would be a hard book to read right now. And I, you know, we've, I've talked about this with other guests who've come on the show recently that it's really hard right now to separate out what's going on around us with what we're reading and understand what is helping us respond in certain ways. Is it the time? Is it the book? Like I'm finding that books that are too light, I don't like, but books that are super, super dark and heavy are also really hard to read. And I'm yeah. actually finding some solace in nonfiction, which is very unlike me and it's kind of memoir. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone's responding differently. Everyone kind of needs something different from their reading right now. And I think a lot of people are reviewing books and saying, it may not be the book. It may just be the time. So that yeah, can- well, that's good. That's good yeah. that people can recognize that. And, yeah. and I think you can't really... It's context, you know, because what you're reading is reflected in in your mind through the other way around. Right. Yeah. That's also a book about a lot about police culture, too. Yes. So another strike right now against Ask Again, Yes. I could read anything Ann Patchett wrote, almost anything. I did not read one of her books, but I just love her. So yeah. Well, Dutch House is another great book. Okay, so what's a book that everyone else has read except for you? Where the Crawdads Sing. <laughs> you live in North Carolina. Isn't I know. And I just, I tried. I could not get into it. I don't know. I'll, no, I'll so get there. Huh? You actually picked it up. So it's not like you've just. Oh, I own it. Oh, you own it. Yeah. This may be a good time for crawdads because it's super involving. Like once you get started with it and you kind of get into it, then it's really hard to put it down. So if you're looking for something to just take your mind off the world, this may be a good time to read it. And it's super atmospheric. So living in Wilmington, you might kind of recognize places you've been in North Carolina, at least the smells and sounds and summer, you know, of North Carolina. But I get it. Yes. And everybody has read that book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the only one. Also, this is an older one, All the Light We Cannot See. Mm-hmm. That's been sitting on my shelf. And somebody in my book club, her daughter needs it for school. And I'm like, oh, you can have it. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> take it away. So I don't have to look at it anymore. feel guilty for not reading you. I put that off for many years. I just, I don't know, once everyone got into it, I was like, oh, I don't want to read a big fat World War II book. And then finally I did it on audio and God, I still remember the guy's voice. I can picture, I can, I can hear Eduardo it. Eduardo Ballerini. Oh, is that who that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know anything about him. Is he oh, a well he just got He just had a wonderful profile on him in the, I think it was in New York Times Magazine. Oh, interesting. I'm going to find that. Yeah, it was really wonderfully written. He made that book really good for me. He, it was so suspenseful, parts of it. And I can remember walking my dog, like listening to that book in my headphones and just being like, oh my God, like I can't take the tension. Like I just, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I was so tense and nervous because of what was happening in the book. And he did a very nice job with the narration. He has, there's a lot of French. Mm-hmm. The names are French. The cities, you know, the, there was a lot of French. There's some, there's also some images in that book that I have a very hard time getting out of my head, sort of concentration camp stuff. Mm-hmm. That is a heavy slog. So I can understand why you haven't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to urge you to go retrieve that from your friend's daughter. <laughs> maybe after it's, if things calm down, maybe I'll let her keep the print copy and I'll listen. Yeah. To it. 
Yeah, do the audio. What about, is there a book that you've read recently that you really enjoyed to just fit the bill for pandemic reading? Yeah, actually, the book I'm recording right now is, I didn't, like when I re- prepare a book, I, I read through really fast and I'm really looking for pronunciation issues and things like that. This is a memoir. And now that I'm recording it, it is so comforting. And this woman is just my hero. She is a few years older than me, but not much. And she lives in a very small town in Alaska. And this book is about running for office and serving in office on the assembly of her small town and facing a lot of pushback, a lot of the sort of blue-red divide that we're experiencing in the country right now. And this, she must have gotten this book out fast because she started her time in office in 2016, and it's releasing this summer. And she talks about almost her whole time in office. But it's somehow her resilience and her willingness to serve, and not just her, but everyone in their town and and their community. It's really inspiring. I would very much recommend it. It's called Of Bears and Ballots. Hmm, And the author is Heather Lendy, L-E-N-D-E. And then the, I haven't read the whole thing, but I just read a short story in a collection, but you know, Kevin Wilson. Yep. So they're releasing, I think re-releasing or releasing for the first time, a collection of stories that he wrote a while ago called Tunneling to the Center of the Earth. And the one that I read, the first one in the series, it's called Grand Stand-In. And it's this first person account of this woman talking about this fictional, obviously, but her job, which is to be a stand-in for grandparents. Oh, okay. So families hire her and others like her to be the grandmother. Like they change photographs and she has to learn family history. It is so weirdly funny that I think. Kevin Wilson, right? Yeah. So I think (laughs) it's, and because it's short stories, sometimes I think short stories are really good when you don't have a lot of mental capacity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yes, for sure. I'm reading right now this book called Howard Stern Comes Again, and it's a collection of interviews he's done over the years. It's basically his favorite interviews. And in print? They're in print. Yep. And I actually wonder if there's an audio. That's an interesting I think thing. there would be. Um, yeah, they could actually just edit the interviews together. It's great. I listen, I, I, I read it while I'm drying my hair in the morning. And so it's about 10 minutes and I can get through usually a full interview in each little chunk. And it's, it's great. It's working out really well. So I think if you have a short attention span or a very limited amount of time, short stories, books like that, you know, collections of things like that can be very satisfying because you can knock them off and feel a sense of accomplishment and you know, squeeze a book into the nooks and crannies of your life. Yeah. All right. Well, Karen, it's been so great to catch up with you. And yeah, and good luck with the book. I will link to it in the show notes so everyone knows where to find it. And I may check it out myself, especially now that I know it was set in my beloved 80s. I did not realize that. So huge selling point for me. And and good luck with everything. And, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on it. And and I hope that you put all those great digital marketing and publishing skills to use. To, to, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, to continue. To I look out. forward to reading. I always use your reviews as then I go straight to my Goodreads to be red pile. Not all. It's too sad that I don't Thank do that. But <laughs> about half. But I'm, I'm looking so nice. forward to. Oh, you know who I recommend? Have you read any of Brit? 
Bennett's book? Well, I haven't yet. I have both of them in my house. And my next book for my book club, and also just because I'm really excited to read it, is The Vanishing Half. So that's her latest book. So my, my goal is to read that one and then go back and read them up. Have you read yeah. both of them? We read The Mothers, my book club, when it came out, whenever that was. Tough subject matter, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, we all loved her writing. So... Yeah. I mean, the new book is getting great reviews. I yeah. think she's on number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And I, re- I saw some, I think I said, was it Instagram post that she did? And she just posted, it was so touching. She posted a picture of the bestseller list and just wrote, never in my wildest dreams, Aww. period. And it was so, I was like, oh, that's so great. You earned that. <laughs> like That's that's wonderful. Well, I remember and then, hearing her interview when she was, with the first book came out. And I just thought like, oh, you are an old soul. Because she was she's young, pretty right? young. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I, 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 so I look forward to seeing what you discover. Oh, thank you. Well, I just started All Adults Here by Emma Straub. And I keep reading it at like one in the morning and then I fall asleep. So I need to like actually read it when I'm a little more awake. And But I can tell so far that I'm going to like it. So I'm reading that. And then up next after that is Britt Bennett. So I will send you my review as soon as it's up. I get it anyway. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, Karen, thanks so much for coming on and right, uh, have a good rest of your summer. You too. Stay healthy. Thanks. Stay safe. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. 